everyone, and welcome back to The Geek Wave. This is the low-budget show. It's the show so low. It has no budget. And we're headed back in time to an old concept that's pretty much been around since the start of this show. We are 75 episodes into The Geek Wave, and we've talked about sitcoms from the 2010s and from the 2000s and from the 90s, and now we're going back in time to a time before I was alive and looking at sitcoms from the 80s. And as I'm as I was thinking about this list, I'm like, do I go back to do the 70s and 60s and 50s? And I'm like, do I? It's just it just be like, I guess the Brady Bunch and I love Lucy. Is it worth talking about the best of that decade? I'm like, ah, we'll see what happens. I guess there's a million concepts we can do for this show, so if I want to go back and talk about it, I can. But I guess we'll get into it when we get into the actual like new like the actual like topic and talk about like what I'm doing differently for this one. But before that, like with every episode of the Geek Wave, we have a bit of news to talk about, and there's some really interesting stuff that excites me to talk about. Every single piece of news we have this week, I think, has just been like, okay, this is cool. This is exciting. So First off, let's talk about the Harley Quinn Season 3 trailer. It is officially coming out this year. There was some speculation, some skepticism on whether or not it was going to make the cutoff for this year. Turns out it is, and that's great. I think that's really cool, and the trailer was great. The animation looks just as fluid, almost a little cleaner than what we saw last season, and that would make a lot of sense to me because the budget would be bigger this time around, so we could actually... Yeah, well, I don't know if it'd be bigger, but I feel like we'd be more, like, condensed and we could, like, workshop a lot of more stuff because we're just coming out of, you know, the COVID quarantines. We could come back and really just put our A-game into things. So I think that's going to be really cool. I love the James Gunn jokes. That was so funny. I think that worked well. Seeing Swamp Thing in there made me so happy. And just having the chemistry of, of Haraivi, Haraivi, I think is what they're calling them. Oh, it's great. This is hitting all the right notes. And it's coming this month, which is very exciting. I'll be talking about it endlessly on this channel. I just know it's going to be a fun show. I cannot wait to get back into. They don't show any Tony Hale as Dr. Psycho, which I, I guess you don't need to have that character in there. But it would be cool to see him again, you know, just having him appear to do something. Doesn't matter. It's looking fun. One of my favorite jokes from the trailer. <laughs> it's um because they try to do this in the earlier seasons where Batman would like uh, have a certain interaction with uh, Selena Kyle. And they say heroes don't do that. Well, it looks like the hero does do that this time. But the woman does not seem to be interested in him doing that. <laughs> I'm like, that is just a great play on that. You don't actually have to be explicit about it. Just talk enough about it where it's kind of funny. That's a great joke. I cannot wait to see what they're going to do with that. That's really fun. This show is just interesting and creative. And I want more like animated adult content like this where it's like the jokes are actually funny they are sharp it honestly reminds me of a really good simpsons episode just because it's like he's taking a concept you're familiar with spinning it on its head and doing like creative jokes that both work for like the the world it built for itself and just for being like a joke it's not like a reference it's just a good joke and i think that's awesome i think that's great to see and moving from there we have some really interesting news I've talked endlessly about the Barbie movie. Well, I'm going to give you a plot synopsis that came out that is just so interesting. So this is the plot synopsis for the Barbie movie. The film is set in Barbieland, a beautiful, colorful society with Kens and Barbies. 
Ryan Gosling's Ken, said to be a complete doofus, is obsessed with Barbie, but loves the real world for all its reasons. Barbie hates it. Beauty standards, sexism, etc. Gerwig's film eventually becomes a big fish out of water comedy as Ken and Barbie leave Barbie land for the real world and Mattel CEO, played by Will Ferrell, goes after the doer to bring them back to Barbie land. That's awesome. Like, I, I, I was kind of talking about, like, what I think is going to happen. It could be, like, Ted, where a Barbie doll comes to life. Is it going to be, like, the Lego movie where it's all, like, in some kid's head just playing a game with their Barbies? I love the idea that, like, there's just a Barbie land that exists. And I think that's where we're going to get, like, all the other Kens and Barbies just peering up because there's been confirmed actors to play them. And then turning into, like, a fish out of water story. That's great. It's, like, I love that. And, and it's, like, all the behind-the-scenes stuff we've been seeing for this show, it looks amazing. It looks so fun so fresh there's the one behind the scenes clip where you just hear ryan gosling screaming and i'm like this is perfect you're getting the the tone right and i think will ferrell is just so good at kind of playing like the buzzkill nowadays where he's just like okay let's wrap up the entertainment and just bring it back to its quietness okay let's get that done here so i really like that that's going to be a really fun one I cannot wait to see what's happening with this Barbie movie. It upsets me it's still a year away, but I am eagerly and patiently waiting to see what is going to come from that. It's going to be great. That plot synopsis is fantastic. Also, we got some more dates revealed for the next installment of the MonsterVerse franchise. So I put that in my notes and I didn't even put the actual date down that the movie's coming out. So it is 2024, the next installment of the MonsterVerse franchise. That is, for those of you who don't know, it's Godzilla, Kong Skull Island, Godzilla, King of Monsters, and then Kong vs. Godzilla. They have been saying the next one might follow like a Son of Kong storyline, which would make sense to me, because Kong would have been like the new king of this world they found, and maybe he'd have a son, and then Kong would get killed in that movie, and his son would come back to do whatever. I am genuinely surprised at how contained the MonsterVerse films are. Like, they are big bombastic pieces, but they have just been quietly churning out stuff. You know, it's not been, like, egregiously annoying. It's just been like, no, we're going to do one movie where, like, Ghidorah and Mothra and Rodan show up. But after that, it's just a big Mecha Godzilla. Like, it's surprisingly tame. And I have to commend it for that. Like, that's very cool. But then, isn't it like in Kong vs. Godzilla, like Ghidorah takes over the Mecha Godzilla suit or something? It's surprisingly tame, and I really respect them for just like, yeah, we get it. We know what we're doing. It's the second, like, most cohesive cinematic universe. And that's saying something. You know? Say what you will about the MCU. I have thoughts on it. We'll talk about it in a later video. But, like, just to be, like, the one under the MCU that is keeping their shit contained and working, that is saying something. And that's super impressive that they've actually managed to make it work for almost a decade now. I think with the release of this new one that's coming out in 2024, it will be five films in a decade, which is very consistent. And I, I think that's really cool. Good job for them. Like, that's very impressive. I like that a lot. And on top of that, we got some really interesting news. Well, I don't know if it's interesting. We got some news for the new Avatar stuff. James Cameron was just doing a couple interviews talking about things. He's like, I might not direct the third and fourth installment, which I'm like, dude, let's not jump to conclusions here. You haven't got this one out yet. He's And he also was like, I don't want people to complain about like how long the movie's going to be when I sit down and watch eight hours of television. Yes, those are different formats, Cameron, but I completely understand what you're saying. 
He's also like, if you have to take a piss, just leave. I don't give a shit. Like, you already paid for the ticket. He's just so nice about that. I, I really like James, like this old James Cameron, just like, I don't care anymore. It's been 12 years. If you're going to see the movie, I don't care. <laughs> I really respect that. We also saw just like a couple new things that are happening behind the scenes. We 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 learned that Sigourney Weaver is actually going to be playing a teenaged character who is the daughter of Jake and the girl one, Navi, I don't remember her name. And I know Cameron was like, well, you don't remember the name? You're still going to watch the movie? Yeah, dude, it's been a long time, but I'm going to watch it before that comes out. <laughs> don't you worry. This is, I, I think this is interesting. It's kind of like, I guess it makes more sense than like the Irishman stuff where it's like, here's 80 year old men being DH to look 30. I guess you can make her blue so her movements don't really matter. I'm all for that. I'm all for that. So that's going to be fun. Avatar seems like they're really going to push for it. So I commend them for that. I genuinely commend them for that. That is something to do, isn't it? That is something to do. My final piece of news, I'm sure it comes as no shock to anybody. There's been a couple of leaks coming out now for Wakanda Forever, the new Black Panther film. I don't know if they're going to be keeping the Black Panther moniker, but they've released a couple concept art for some characters that will be appearing. And this looks great because I, I like Black Panther and I think that world was explored really well. But there's just something about the idea of what they're doing with Atlantis in here. That really excites me. So we got our first kind of official looks at Okoye and Shuri. Yes, they look great. They look exactly what they need to. But for like new designs and characters, we saw Atuma, which is a, a great choice for a side villain in a story like this. Having Atuma show up, maybe being the one that wreaks havoc on the place. That's really cool. Nemoretta got a, like a little bit of a teaser. And I'm like, that's kind of fun. She's an interesting character that they're genuinely using it i think that's kind of exciting and the big one is tina cuerta's namor finally getting an official look there was some tease concept stuff that people made but we got an official look at him again it's not official but you know what i mean i think it's perfect i really think it's it's perfect it looks arrogant and commanding very strong very presentful i think everything about that just it found the right footing, and I think it's working great. I think it looks really cool. I love the I love the facial hair. I love the structure of the headdress. I think it all looks fantastic, and I think he is quickly going to become a fan favorite character because he could essentially be like a a Robert Downey Jr. Tony Stark type character without like the sarcasm, just like that type of snickering asshole, without trying to be like quippy. And I think that's going to be something a lot of people like that might feel a little different than other characters. I just don't want him to be like the one-liner guy. You know, that's like my big fear with Namor where it's like somebody's going to say something and he's going to have the one-liner. I don't want that to happen. I just want him to be like reactful and not like reactive. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. Where he just takes it in without actually like thinking. I don't know. It looks cool. I really dig. I like the look they're going for there. They got the little wings on the legs, so that's kind of fun. Kind of fun. Kind of fun. That's all the news we have. When we take a break right now, let's talk about the 80s because who, who, yeah. All right, all you cool cats. Here's the thing about the 80s sitcoms I need to make abundantly clear 
before we talk about this. They're of a certain time. So that's a thing. <laughs> also, I haven't seen any of these except for Cheers. So Cheers is the thumbnail because it's the one I've seen. And because I've only seen one sitcom from the 80s, I'm just going to find a list of the top sitcoms of the 80s off of IMDb, and we're going to talk about them from that. In the 90s, 2000s, and 2010s, I could talk about my favorites, the ones I think are the best. But doing the 80s, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I don't know which one's the best. It's Cheers. Cheers is the one I, I know. It's just a really smart concept of great characters and great actors and people committing to the silliest and most insane bit ever. It's fun. It's creative. It gives you great characters like <laughs> oh, Norm and Cliff and Woody and just Coach was great for the beginning there and Rebecca was great. And the Sam and Diane relationship is one of the best will they won't they's out there. I also really love the finale of Cheers because it's just like he chooses the bar. And that's such a real thing. I don't think people understand. It's like how important a not just a business, but like an idea to you is where it's like that could lead you on a certain path and take you down an area you've never really been before. So Cheers is just the best, you know? But we can't just sit here and talk about Cheers all day because my audience, I'm sure is not people born in the 80s or born in the 70s, really. It's young people. And because we're young people, we probably don't know anything about the 80s shows. So we're going to say, we're just going to call this episode the best sitcoms of the 80s. We're going to get a list from INDB. We're going to read the synopsis and we're going to decide if that sounds like it's a good show. That's what this episode is. Okay. That's all we're doing today. So I have this list from 2014, which is pretty much eight years ago, but it's like the shows are from the same time period. It's not like they are still going on. So it's not like the list can be updated. So it's fine. And these are the top 35 sitcoms of the 80s from 2014. 2014. So <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just funny to me because number one on this list is the Cosby show. And I'm like, oh, God, 2014 was quite the time, wasn't it? I think even then... People were aware of Bill Cosby, and I'm, I don't want to talk about this one too much. You know, the goings-ons in the life of a successful African-American family. If Cosby didn't tarnish everything by being the worst person alive, I think the legacy of the show would be remembered more fondly. So I'm just sorry to say <laughs> that the Cosby show being the number one on this list is so insane to me, but okay. Number two is Cheers, again, the perfect sitcom. Everything went for it. Ted Danson is a godsend to television. He is so cool. Kelsey Grammer, getting like his big Frasier start here was really cool. I really liked like Cheers. and I pretty much only watched Cheers because I knew family that said it was really good. And it, like my father always made jokes about it. So I'm like, okay, I got to see this. And then I really like it. I do like it better than Frasier, honestly. But I don't know, like, I think, I guess I could do a video on Cheers, but I don't know if the audience is there for it. It could be, but who's to say? So Cheers is great. Number three, Family Ties. 
chronicles liberal ex-hippies Stephen and Elise Keaton, their conservative son Alex, daughters Mallory and Jennifer, and later their youngest child, Andrew. This is the Michael J. Fox one. This, <laughs> I don't, this sounds really boring. It sounds like that classic, like, the parents and the kids don't get each other. They're of two minds, man. You know, we're just like, we got to do it this way, but it's like peace and love. But it's like, no, get your boots dirty and do the work. Like, I don't give a shit. It does sound like a sitcom thing. But if you made this today, actually, you'd probably do make this today. It's probably a fairly traditional concept you'd see the day. So, I mean, giving us Michael J. Fox, I'm sure, is a big deal. And Meredith Baxter and Justine Bateman. Those are names you can recognize if you're somebody, so cool. I think out of everything on this list, the Golden Girls, which is number four, probably is like the most well-known because, I I mean, I've seen a lot of the Golden Girls. I've never like done like a deep dive to like really commit myself to it, but it's funny. It's creative. It's such a cool idea, and it's insane to me how the times have changed where like the conception or like the predilection of these women are like they're like in their 50s and 60s and you look at like women at that age today and it's so different i think that's really insane but i really like it you know b arthur betty white rue mccallahan estelle getty it was just really fun the golden girls was a brilliant show that i think holds up incredibly well number five who's the boss Tony Maselli, a retired baseball player, becomes the housekeeper of Angela Bauer, an advertising executive in New York. Together, they raise their kids, Samantha McNelly and Jonathan Bauer, with help from Mona Robinson, Angela's man-crazy mother. I love a good story where, like, the mom of a, like, a kind of, like, you know, straightforward character is very just like, woo, men are crazy, let's get laid and stuff. Like, that's one of my favorite concepts. This is clearly like Tony Danza getting older. I don't know. I, I <laughs> Being the HIM, my, my knowledge of who's the boss is like that bit from Community where Abed solves the answer of who's the boss and ruins that guy's class. But this just sounds so boring. <laughs> I just, I love the idea. A retired baseball player, Tony Danza, who was probably very young while ma- he making this. I love an advertising executive. That was like such one of those like jobs where it's like you can really just have such a simple like pitch made for it where it's like, I have to sell this concept. What if I just see something in the real world of somebody reacting to that concept and make that my pitch? That's why everybody in that generation had that job in television. It's insane to me. Number six, Full House. R.I.P. Bob Saget, a brilliant man. A widowed broadcaster raises 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 his three daughters with assistance from his rock and roll brother-in-law and his madcap best friend. That's another thing about like sitcoms from this generation. There's always got to be like the will they won't they tension. So every like main character has got to be single, and like you can have like a guest spot of like the mom or the dad showing up being terrible. But this guy's widowed, so cool. This one I think is very popular too. I don't think it's as popular as like Golden Girls, but I don't know, maybe, maybe, I don't know. I think it's fun. I, I think Bob Saget's a genius, and John Stamos and him have great chemistry, and they're really fun together, but the Olsons aren't remembered anymore, just their sister, so. <laughs> uh, I guess, I guess though, like, 
looking at this list, I'm not the guy to talk about it. So I think this episode's going to be a real shit show for anybody who's genuinely looking for like a millennial's reaction to this shit. Number seven, Growing Pains, The Misadventures of a Family with a Home Business Father and a Journalist Mother. So the 80s was kind of like the time where like the women did real jobs. What's the home, what's the home business that I think Alan Thicke did? Ew, I don't care. That one I, I doubt is good. <laughs> Number eight is Perfect Strangers, a high-strung and cynical man's life is never the same when his naive but good-natured cousin comes to America to live with him. Okay, <laughs> I guess that's kind of fun. You could have fun with their... I, I like the idea of using cousins more like this way because not everybody's got to be like a brother or like a sister or something. Like, you know, expand your family a little bit. That's kind of cool. I guess that's interesting. Is it though? It's probably like the one I I would never watch out of any of these because I know for the rest of them, I have at least seen two episodes, but I don't give a shit about any of them really. So number nine is Different Strokes. Of course... Of course, you got to know what this one is, the most iconic line in television. And this is the thing, like, I've kind of been talking about, just, like, in terms of, like, a generational culture thing. I kind of talked about it when I talked about Elvis. And Elvis was, like, this concept, like, the actual, like, character of Elvis in pop culture. I don't think he's being remembered. I think, like, the actual, like, where you'd have an Elvis joke is being replaced with other things that the younger demographic knows more. So I think you could see the culture swift, like in the 2000s, you're still talking about Elvis. But I think in 2010 onwards, the Elvis jokes are disappearing more and more. And I think the same is like what you talk about, Willis. I don't think anybody is really doing that joke anymore because who's it for? Who is going to get it? Like if you're doing a modern sitcom today to like get a young demographic, you're not doing that joke. So I think slowly, this one, I think more than any, is really going to fall out of favor with a generation, which is kind of sad. But cool. I mean, I, I know it from The Simpsons and Gary Coleman. He's a funny guy. So I don't hate this. I don't hate it. It's, it's interesting. Different Strokes is a the misadventures of a wealthy Manhattan family who adopt the children of their late African-American housekeeper from Harlem. Okay. That's political. So cool. Number 10, The Facts of Life. Miss Edna Garrett, housekeeper and dietitian at the Eastman School, teaches a group of girls in her ch charge how to solve those problems that every teenager has to face. I'm sure this one doesn't get into the minutia of what teenage girls have to face every day. Just that very, you know, like, <laughs> the boy doesn't like me. I could be completely off base here. I, don't, I wouldn't know. I doubt it's like that intense but i've heard people revere this show i've heard people be like who gives a shit i'm at like yeah that one at least sounds like a concept where you could teach somebody a lesson number 11 webster the post-retirement season is suddenly disrupted for football player george papa papa de papa de papa de polis and his wife Catherine. <laughs> when webster the orphan son of a former teammate moves in laughter life lesson in every episode oh that's i guess that's interesting like that's something to explore that sounds annoying though like i okay <laughs> i'm gonna start moving a little quicker here because i'm like does this matter does this does this matter to anybody number 12 silver spoons ricky stratton is a spoiled rich kid who lives the life that many dreams that many kids dream of 
but he still suffers from problems that many teens do. Ricky Schroeder, I remember him. That's a name you are never going to hear again. <laughs> oh my goodness. This sounds like, um, I'm just like you. It sounds like rich people pop propaganda, and that, that sounds terrible. I would probably not want to watch that. But number 13... A furry alien wise guy comes to lift the Tanner family after crashing into their garage. It's Alf. Of course, I've, I've seen Alf. And I guess I haven't like done a thorough investigation of this list too much because Alf is just brilliant. Like It's such a dumb concept that shouldn't work as well as it does because it's just like a stupid puppet being dumb. But it, it, I think kind of like what you're talking about, Willis, Alf is slowly falling out of favor in pop culture where nobody is talking about it. So if you're an ALF head, if you're an ALF fan out there, please let's get the let's get the word of mouth going for an ALF revival. Do you think they've tried an ALF revival? Like the the jokes are pretty timeless, and I think you could do like a lot of modern stuff with that. Could be kind of interesting. I think that's really cool, and the concept is great. The design is fantastic. I like ALF. Something I actually like in this list. Cool. <laughs> oh yeah. Number fourteen, designing women. The Misadventures of Four Women and Their Handyman Running a Design Firm in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. <laughs> that's That sounds terrible. <laughs> I, I guess it, yeah, it ran for a few seasons. Holy shit. That sounds awful, though. I Why would anybody want to watch that? I don't know. Whatever. Number 15. Kate and Allie. Two divorced mothers and their children share an apartment. Ah, yes. The Raven's Home thing. Uh, okay. That's cool. I guess the thing too about like this time period is like you can get away with being similar because everyone's trying to capture the magic of like the last important thing that came before it. So, okay. That sounds cool. At least that's like that's fun, I guess. Number 16, a different world, a group of students at a historically black university struggle to make it through college. That Lisa Bonet is in that holy shit. That's that sounds like a that sounds like a thing I would watch, actually. And, I, and this kind of concept, too. They're still doing, like, it's Abbott Elementary. Just, like, I think a little bit more, like, to the times of the 80s. And that sounds really cool, actually. I might actually watch A Different World. But Saved by the Bell, I kind of talked about when we did the 90s one. It has its own place in history. That one will never fade for some reason. Just because, like, more 90s stuff than 80s is currently relevant again. So, whatever. That's 17, by the way. Number 18 is Night Court. And yeah, that's a that's one I know a lot of people revere. I don't give a shit. Like, an eccentric, fun-loving judge presides over an urban night court and all the silliness going on there. That sounds like we have to do our own cheers, but we're going to do it in a, in a court. That's cool. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I'm sorry for this video. Oh, this is going to be a nightmare to watch. Or listen to. Number 19, Newhart, the misadventures of author turned innkeeper in rural Vermont and his friends. Look, I talked about it when I did the Big Bang Theory retrospective. I'll talk about it again. Bob Newhart is one of the funniest guys in comedy. And I think this is way too low on the list for where it should be. Again, I don't think this list is like by any means just like proper or formatted, but... That is such a good show, and I love Bob Newhart, so that one I, I genuinely enjoy. I think that's really cool. Ah, oh, he's funny. He's really funny. So number 20, we have Mr. Belvedere, 
the humorous adventures of an English housekeeper working for an American family. Oh my God. That, uh, no, thank you. I don't need to see. That's just the nanny for like annoying people. No, thanks. Number 21, head of the class, a laid-back teacher provides needed guidance about life for a special class of exceptional students. Okay, I'll believe it. Sure. <laughs> that I there's a lot of those ones just about like high school and shit and that that, that sounds terrible. I don't know, like a lot of these and maybe it just be like the sitcoms where I think my kind of sitcoms the more like meta commentary like single camera comedy stuff and I think those are able to do more brilliance but we weren't doing this back then moonlighting was the closest we really came to like breaking the formula so a lot of these just sound like shit to me like number 22 227 the series took place in an apartment building number 227 the cats would frequently be sitting outside on a large set of stone stairs involved in some discussion that would unfold into the weekly plot line that's not that's not even a synopsis that's just describing the plot I guess that's a synopsis, but you're not even saying who the characters are, right? Okay. Number 23, Amen. The new head of Philadelphia's first community church, Reverend Reuben Gregory, finds dealing with the headstrong, opinionated, and unethical Deacon Ernest Frey, who works as a lawyer when not. When not what? There's a full summary. I'm not reading the full summary. That sounds like something I've never heard of, and it ran for five seasons, so. Uh, cool. Do something with that. Mama's Family, number 24. Mama's Family originated when Thelma Mama Harper and her younger sister... Oh, uh, who gives a shit? Okay, just kids... Li just people living in a house together. That's that's the plot. And and that was everything because you know how easy it was to make like a house set? Just to like build some... Like a kitchen and, and like an upstairs and a bedroom and a living room. Like that's all you had to build back in the day. And nobody said anything. Okie dokie, number 25 is one, I'm sure, I've, I think a lot more people would know this one just by the name. Punky Brewster. <laughs> Young Punky Brewster is abandoned with her dog, Brandon, in a supermarket, where she befriends Henry Warnamont. Warnamont? Her new family life begins. Somebody abandons a girl and her dog, and she finds like a person at the supermarket. I don't like that concept for a setup but it's the 80s so who gives who okay <laughs> oh my god look at this one 26 small wonder the zany adventures of a suburban family and their next door neighbors and an in initiative and an innovative robot designed to look like a human child holy fuck that sounds terrible i mean i guess that's something who's who played the robot who played the robot? Let's see if it was Vicky the robot, Tiffany Briss, Briss, Brissett. Ugh. Ew. I don't, I don't feel good about making like a kid a robot. That's creepy. That makes me uncomfortable, actually. <laughs> I don't like that. I know there's like that. Was it like Lars and the Real Girl or something like that too? Whatever. 27, my two dads. Now, Oh, now we're getting to the good stuff. When Marcy Bradford dies, <laughs> she leaves her teenage daughter, Nicole, in custody of two ex-boyfriends, Michael, a straight-laced and formal man, and Joey, a wild card. Could you imagine if this was a plot today, how fucked up this would sound when someone's like, 
I'm going to leave my teenaged daughter in the custody of two guys that I am not married. Just two random dudes I'm not married to. I don't care if it's Paul Reiser and Greg Evigan. Like, that is weird. That is creepy weird. I I don't like that. That don't sit right with me. And I don't like the poster where it's just like, here's this young woman surrounded by these two dudes of terrible haircuts. Nope, I'm I'm not liking this one. I'm I'm no. Twenty eight Benson Jessica Tate's sharp tongue former butler. Benson Dubois moves up in the world, becoming the first governor's director of household affairs, and then the state's budget director, then lieutenant governor, the candidate for executive mansion. What the fuck is that? Oh, <laughs> I like I like that one. This dude is just like, I used to be a butler. Now I'm the director of household affairs for the governor. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds like a really good plot. That's my favorite one so far. Oh, that is crazy. That is so dumb. I love it. Number 29, Valerie. Originally, the saga of a working mom raising her three sons alone while her pilot husband away. After Star... Valerie Harper left the series. Her role was filled by Sandy Duncan as the boy's aunt. Interesting that the show called Valerie lost its Valerie. Uh, that's funny. Oh, Jason Bateman's in this. Cool. That's uh, cool. Eh, cool. Yeah, Bateman was working hard back in the day, I guess. 30. Out of this world, a teenager discovers she has supernatural powers when she learns her birth fodder is an alien fodder. That's like a million things we've made before. Burt Reynolds, what the... What? Why is he top building here? He's not on the poster. That's crazy. What? Why is Burt Reynolds in here? He's in 95 episodes? Was this when he was like broke and he had to do TV? When we're like, we still love you. We still love you, Burt, but you can't be in movies anymore or something. That's insane to me. What did her powers do? Like, that's weird. I, I'm sorry, that just blew me away. Why is he in... Okay. Calm down, dude. It's just, it's just television back in the day. None of it really made any sense. Scott Bayo was in three episodes as Prince Cornelius. Okay. <laughs> oh, boy, okay. All right. 31. That's what we're on to. Yeah, 31. It's a living. Oh, that, that's something that'll never go away. Just people saying, it's a living. <laughs> the series featured a group of waitresses and a pianist, Sonny, who are at a fancy restaurant at the top of a skyscraper. That is, I like that. That sounds really fun, actually. I, I, I dig that idea. Works for me. Nothing else to say on it. Number 32. Now we're getting somewhere. Bosom buddies, two young ad men. Again, going back to the advertisement stuff. This is why Mad Men worked because we finally took this concept seriously. <laughs> two young single ad men must disguise themselves as women to live in the one apartment they can afford. Starring Tom Hanks and Peter Scolari. Yep. Two seasons of this bad girl. I love that. What a what a terrible idea. I hate I, there's something about like and I, I, I kind of understand in like the time period why it was funny, but looking back on like these types of sitcoms and these jokes where it's like a guy is wearing girl clothes and he's feeling his fake boobs and he's like putting on his makeup and 
you know, he accidentally kisses a guy and that's weird. It's like, there's, that was like comedy to like dudes that didn't give a shit about television, but it's not really funny. It more is just like, let's make fun of like everyone who does this professionally. I don't know. It's such a dumb thing. And, and I guess that's like a start for somebody like when it's 1980 and you're Tom Hanks, you're not looking at who you're going to be in 15 years. 33, too close for comfort. A conservative cartoonist oh, tries to meddle in the affairs of friends and family. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's, uh, okay. Sure. Yeah, I don't give it. Meddle away, buddy. Meddle away. Give me a break. 34, Neil. Oh, Nell, I'm so sorry. Nell agrees to look after the Kaniski home as a special favor to her dying friend and takes on the role of housekeeper to widow police chief Carl and a parental figure to his three teenage daughters and eventually a foster son. This seems like the plot of another thing. Again, another person who's a housekeeper. Again, another person who's widowed. Again, later on to mix things up, we adopt another kid. Yes, that happens far too often in this apparently, but whatever. So, we have reached 35, and what is 35? Charles in charge. Charles, a college student, is a live-in housekeeper in the Powell household. Charles, along with his friend Buddy, attempts to juggle his studies, friendships, and duties to the family. Oh my god, another housekeeper! Was there no other jobs available except for people and advertisement and housekeeping? Because those are the two most prominent jobs we have seen so far. And we have seen 35 shows. Why is everybody a housekeeper? Who would trust Scott Bayo in their house? That is so weird to me. I I am blown away by that. So Scott Bayo was Charles. That's cool. Imagine if your name was Buddy. Willie Ames was Buddy Lamech. That's so weird to me. Wow. <laughs> Why was everybody doing that? I, was it just like, hey, we, we, we think it's funny to see people clean houses. That's so dumb. That is so dumb, but whatever. Whatever. I guess Scott Bale was important or something. Fuck. Was Happy Days in the, 80, in the 80s? I guess it kind of was. I'm just, I'm looking at Scott Bale now. I'm like, yeah, he was in Happy Days, wasn't he? Yeah, he was chachi. We should do a Happy Days-like episode, but that's, 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 I don't give a shit. Happy Days is another one of those things. And this is kind of like, I was just re-watching all of Arrested Development. And of course, that has Ron Howard and Winkler and Scott Bayo in it, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, do people care? <laughs> do, do people care about Happy Days anymore? <laughs> do they? Does anybody give a shit about happy days i don't know if they do but <laughs> cool <laughs> oh boy oh boy oh boy oh boy i hate the 80s sitcoms there is nothing good on there except for a couple things and i guess that means we can just jump right into the recommendations i don't have much for you i won't watch charles in charge because that sounds terrible that'll be a fun one watch the golden girls watch cheers i guess What's another one? New Heart is probably a good one to watch. Night Court's probably interesting for a little bit. That's all I'm going to recommend to you, though, because these all sound terrible and everybody's a fucking housekeeper for some reason. Oh, my goodness. I'm let down by the 80s, man. 
That all sounds terrible, but I guess you could look at today's television and the 90s and just be like, yeah, this sounds terrible when you're just reading a small plot synopsis, but my goodness, guys. What is an ad? I don't think anybody got an advertising job right in there, but whatever. That's something, isn't it? Oh, well, thanks for sticking through this. If you did stick through this, I completely understand if you didn't. However, I just want to say thank you for watching. Be sure to like and subscribe to the channel. As always, you can check me out on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And as always, I will catch you guys in the next one. So have fun. Stay safe. Good luck.